Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven, for that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. But I say to you that listen, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies, do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High. For God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father God is merciful. Do I have your attention? We've just heard a sermon about blessings and woes. But you may be thinking a different kind of woe. Woe as in, whoa, what the heck was that? That was a sermon from the mouth of Jesus. And if you'd like to follow along as we take a closer look at it this morning, you may do so by turning to page 64 of the New Testament in the Pew Bibles, page 64. Before we take a closer look, we should ask for some help. You can probably tell we're going to need it. So let us pray. Breathe on us, breath of God. Fill us with life 
anew. Amen. What is sometimes called the Sermon on the Plain is introduced innocuously. Then Jesus looked up at his disciples and spoke. As I've mentioned previously, the Greek word that is often translated disciples, mathetos, can also be translated students. And students, in this case, is an especially appropriate rendering of this word, mathetos, because Jesus is teaching his students a new way of thinking, a new way of thinking about reality, a new way of thinking about the world. Joel Green, a New Testament scholar who teaches at Fuller Theological Seminary, explains, At stake here is a way of thinking at odds with what many imagine to be the case in the world. At stake here, in this passage, is a way of thinking at odds with what many imagine to be the case in the world. As he does frequently, Jesus is here challenging anyone with ears to hear to think differently. To think in a downright peculiar way. He is challenging conventional wisdom, majority opinion, common sense in this sermon. Jesus begins this challenge by naming four blessings and four related woes. Listen to them again, and please listen carefully, because I will be asking you a question about them after I read them. Blessed are you who are poor. Some of you may recall the beatitude that begins uh, the Sermon on the Mount in the Gospel of Matthew, where Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Here in Luke, the phrase in spirit is lacking, which I think makes this blessing even more challenging to our ears. Not blessed are you who are poor in spirit, but blessed are you who are poor. No qualification. For yours is, note the present tense, the kingdom of God. The word kingdom is the Greek word basileia. It's the same word that the Romans used in reference to the Roman Empire. So Jesus is setting up God's kingdom as an alternative kingdom, an alternative empire to Rome. An alternative kingdom with alternative ways of living. For yours is the kingdom of God. The basileia of God is both now and not yet. Both present and future. Both come and coming. When we live the kingdom ethic, Jesus is here teaching, we offer a broken world, a glimpse of what is to come, a glimpse of a brighter future, the future that God in Christ has promised. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. 
Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For surely your reward is great in heaven. For that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you. And the Greek word for woe is uai. Isn't that a woeful word? It just sounds woeful. Uai. But uai to you who are rich. For you have received your consolation. Uai to you who are full now. For you will be hungry. Uai to you who are laughing now. For you will mourn and weep. Uai to you when all speak well of you. For that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. So please do not speak well of this sermon on your way out the door later today. Four blessings and four woes. Here's my question for you. Which of these statements most challenges conventional wisdom in America today? Which of these statements most challenges conventional wisdom in America today? There's no right or wrong answer. It's pretty clear to me that they all challenge conventional wisdom to some degree. But which one do you think most challenges conventional wisdom in our cultural context today? I'm going to ask you to discuss that question with a neighbor or two or three for just a couple minutes. Go ahead and discuss which one do you think most challenges conventional wisdom? I hear a lot of conversation, which I appreciate. And now I want to hear what you came up with. How many of you think that the blessing and or woe that most challenges conventional wisdom in America today is the first? Blessed are you who are poor. Woe to you who are rich. Raise your hand if you think that. Many of you. Not surprising. How many of you think uh, the one that most challenges conventional wisdom is the second? Blessed are you who are uh, hungry now. Raise your hand if you think that one. That's an interesting one too. A few of you think that one most challenges common thinking. Blessed are you who, are, uh, who weep now. How many of you think that one most challenges our common ways of understanding? A few of you. And finally, blessed are you when people hate you. And uh, that takes a number of different forms. How many of you think that one most challenges conventional wisdom for us? A lot of you. Okay. I think they all challenge our common uh, way of thinking about these things. And I think Jesus is intentionally trying to challenge us uh, in this way. He's trying to uh, change the way we think. He's calling into question our assumptions. He's turning things upside down. Let's continue uh, with verse uh, 27. And here now... Uh, having taught a new and challenging way of thinking about the world, Jesus moves to ethics. He moves to ethical instruction that is equally provocative. Here's Joel Green again. Jesus undergirds and develops this perspective by outlining the new commitments and behaviors that flow from this fresh way of of understanding how the world works. 
I'll read that quote again. Jesus undergirds and develops the perspective he's just put forward by outlining the new commitments and behaviors that flow from this fresh way of understanding how the world works. And here come those new commitments and behaviors. Verse 27. But I say to you that listen, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. The Greek word translated enemies is ekthrus. Ekthrus refers to any persons with whom you have enmity or hostility. It's not necessarily referring just to people who want to do you physical harm or who want to kill you, who want you dead. It can refer to anyone with whom you have hostility. More than once, I have heard people say something to this effect. I don't care what Jesus says. If I ever come face to face with a terrorist, I'm going to shoot him. In response, I wonder whether that person even owns a gun. I don't own a gun. So in the highly unlikely event that I ever come face to face with a terrorist, I'm going to have to think of a more creative approach to the situation than simply shooting him. Right? My point is simply this. Speculating about highly unlikely hypothetical situations, scenarios, distracts us from actual day-to-day opportunities to practice enemy love. Some examples of such opportunities. If you are a staunch Democrat, and I know many of you are, then blessing staunch Republicans, especially during this election season, would be an example of loving your ekthrus, enemies in this passage. If you are a staunch Republican, and I know many of you are staunch Republicans as well, then blessing a staunch Democrat would be an example of loving your enemies. Or if you are hostile toward undocumented immigrants, then blessing them would be an example of loving your ekthrus or enemies. Some examples of day-to-day opportunities to love our enemies. And I'm sure you can think of more. Verse 29. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you, which has come to be called the golden rule. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, 
What credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies, do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High. For God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says something similar, and he throws in an illustration. The illustration is sunshine. He says the sun shines on both, uh, on everyone, including the wicked. It's what theologians call common grace. Be merciful, just as your Father God is merciful. This teaching is difficult, isn't it? It's not easy following Jesus. Ethicists Glenn Stassen and David Gushy write, Christian churches across the theological and confessional spectrum are often guilty of evading Jesus, the cornerstone and center of the Christian faith. Does anyone other than Jesus even come close to thinking and living this way? Enter Patrick of Ireland, also known as St. Patrick. Patrick was not Irish. Did you know that? He grew up in the late 4th century in northeast England, which by then was part of the Roman Empire. So culturally, Patrick was English, or excuse me, Roman. And when he was 16 years old, he was kidnapped by Celtic pirates, taken back to Ireland, and enslaved. He spent six years as a slave, forced to herd cattle. Eventually, he escaped in improbable fashion and made his way back to England, where he decided to study for the priesthood. At the age of 48, so many years later, he had a dream in which an angel came to him and told him to go back to Ireland, back to the people who had enslaved him, back to his enemies as a missionary. I don't think I would have gone back. More likely, I would have dismissed that dream as the result of too much drinking. But Patrick did go back. With a small contingent of people, probably about a dozen people, he went back to the land where he had been enslaved for six years of his life to show the love of God to the people who lived there. What Patrick did was loving. How Patrick did it was also loving. I heard a story the other day. I have to tell this story uh, carefully to preserve confidentiality. A boy, about nine years old, 
went to see a movie at a birthday party, uh, Men in Black 3. When he got home, his father asked him how he liked the movie. And the boy said it was good. But there was something in it called French kissing. Then he explained, that's when people stick each other's tongues in each other's mouths. <laughs> so then he asked, is that really how people in France kiss? <laughs> and his father said, I guess you'll have to go to France someday <laughs> to investigate. Now, if this boy grows up, grows much older, and decides to go to France and falls in love with France and decides to live there, then he probably will decide to learn how to kiss the French way, which we all know is much different than the American way. <laughs> and if he does that, he will have contextualized his kissing. Patrick of Ireland contextualized the gospel. You see, in his time, missionaries typically assumed that people needed to learn Roman culture before they could learn the Christian faith. Patrick didn't assume that. Patrick learned to love the Irish culture. He believed that the gospel could be translated into that culture. He believed that the story of Jesus could be conveyed in and for that culture. So he found things in Irish culture that he could affirm. Uh, for example, the Irish loved rhetorical triads. Think Trinity. They love stories. The Bible is mostly stories. They loved paradox. Some of the most important Christian doctrines are paradoxical. They loved nature. God is the creator God. Patrick identified these things that he could affirm, and he made connections between them and the gospel. And in this way, he loved the Irish. Not only did he go to them to practice enemy love, but the way that he shared the gospel with them was also loving. May the example of Patrick inspire us. In the present time, before God's uh, kingdom is consummated, communities of disciples, of students of Jesus, are charged with living as a preview of what is to come. Insofar as we embody the kingdom ethic taught and practiced by Jesus. We provide the world with a glimpse of a brighter future. In short, we offer the world hope. Amen.